issues, um, to not want to take acknowledgement for what they did uh, for an action to kind of deflect. So, and, and when you think of gaslighting and, and use it as a term tactic, right? When we think of tactic, it's tactical, strategic, and it's a form of manipulation. Um, you can, it's very subtle and subtle until you realize that it's not when you're kind of out of it. So it's very interesting. Um, it makes you think that you, the other person kind of makes you think that they're crazy, that you're crazy. So, and it's, like I said, it's a very subtle thing. Um, but yeah, people use it for manipulation all of the time, so I am very familiar with it. Welcome to the 1000 Days Sober Podcast. I am your host, Lee Davey. I am not an alcoholic. I refuse to be anonymous. I am someone that doesn't drink alcohol. And I spend every waking moment of my life helping other people do the same. Like right now, how are you doing, boys and girls? Hope everybody is doing okay out there in the wider 1000 Days Stride community. Everything is uh, tip-top here in the Liza Lim Lee Davy household over here in Los Angeles. <clears throat> Things are going well. Looking to hopefully get my work permit sorted out by the end of August so I can go back to the UK for a little visit, see my boy. And um, interestingly, me and my wife have been considering um, Tulum in Mexico as a potential place to live. Why? There's a lovely green school there that we'd like our daughter Zia to go to. And talking about this type of stuff, you know, it's like really interesting how when Liza talks about Tulum in Mexico, it's very different to how I talk about Tulum in Mexico. And we've been talking about this in the Strive community on in our Marco Polo app this week. Um, for example, when Liza talks to me about Tulum, she's full of optimism. She's full of um, exploration, excitement, joy, enthusiasm. She is like, yes, let's go and live in the jungle. Let's have fun. Let's be around nature. It will really inspire us. It will help us grow, et cetera, et cetera, right? She's really pumped for it. And then when I hear about going to Loom in Mexico, I think like, wow, the police are going to pull us over every day. I'm going to bribe us. Um, the cartel is going to kidnap us. Um, we're going to get some incredibly nasty disease from the jungle. The storms are going to blow our shack away, right? And uh, what we're talking about here is uh, something called neuroception, uh, where how our brain has a um, pre-built story that we've we've either created or we've picked up from you know how we were nurtured or how our experiences as, as a child, right? And neuroception is how we kind of scan scan the world uh, to fit in with our story or not. So, for example, in my case, you know, whenever I go to a park, I'm always thinking rattlesnakes. Like, don't go in the grass because of rattlesnakes. Where Liza's looking around and going, go and play in the grass. Like, go and have a bit of fun, right? Um, why is that? Well, for me, when I was 10 years of age and my parents moved me from England to Wales, I didn't know anybody, right? Like, I didn't know a single soul at a very important part of my development. And then when I did venture out and went to school, so school is like my jungle. School is like my long grass. Everybody talked different. Everybody looked different. And then the feedback that I got off people was um, that I was a chink, that I was an English C-U-N-T, right? So for me, as a 10-year-old, 
the world, Ogmore um, Vale in South Wales, um, was a frightening and terrifying place for me. It wasn't safe. So I, I've grown up with that attitude. I've grown up with that attitude that the world is not a safe place. And it's been affected by uh, the choice of stuff that I wa- watch on TV, the things that I used to watch on TV when I was with my mom, or Crime Watch, America's Most Wanted, books I used to read as a youngster, serial killer this, serial killer that. And all of this media, television, internet, all this scarcity, fear, mindset, coupled with the traumatic experience when I had of 10 years of age, means that my neuroception is really about risk, about um, danger, about security. Like, so I'm always kind of like worrying about these things. Whilst that can be a benefit, because I'm always on the lookout for danger so I can see danger coming because I'm looking out for it all the time, it can also be a real hindrance because it can prevent you from actual growth and development and exploration and experience in the world. And as Liza says to me, we only have one life and I want to live, she says. I don't want to just exist, right? And it reminds me of the cartoon, The Crudes. If anyone's seen it, if you haven't seen it, amazing movie where the dad, the caveman, he just wants to keep his family in the cave all the time. He doesn't want them to leave the cave. And he says to his daughter, like, I'm, I'm keeping you alive. I've kept you alive because of the cave. And she said, that is not living. That is just not dying. And the two are very different. So what have we come? What's the conclusion on Stripe? Well, with anything with these conversations, there's no conclusion. But what we have drawn out of our discussion is the first step in this process is awareness about being unplugged from the matrix about understanding that you're in this game, this game of life, um, and that it is stacked against you, that it is the game is designed from birth to get you act and behave the completely the opposite way of who you truly are. And we are explorers, and we are people who venture beyond our borders and take risks and have a look about what's going on, right? Uh, so it's really important to just have that awareness of, oh, wow, this traumatic experience happened to me. And when my wife says, let's go to Tulum, she's not having a conversation with a 46-year-old man in that moment. She's having a conversation with a 10-year-old boy. So that means I can or I am going back to do that inner child work with that 10-year-old boy. You know, And if any of you f- want to know more about this kind of stuff and you want to work with me personally on these kind of things, then reach out to me at 1kdaysober at gmod.com or set up a call, okay? Okay, so today we're going to be talking about gaslighting on the podcast. So gaslighting is a form of psychological abuse, right? Where a person or a group of people really makes somebody question their sanity, their perception of reality, or their memories of events, okay? And people who experience gaslighting, they often feel confused, anxious, like they're going slightly mad and they're unable to trust themselves, their memories and their intuition. And it is a terrifying, terrifying experience for somebody to be on the other end of it. Okay. And the reason that I wanted to touch upon this topic is because it came up in the Strive community, it actually came up in some of the homework assignments in the Strive Method for Addictions where uh, people have been suffering from this with their partners or former partners. So I thought it was important to have a conversation about it. So I reached out to Julie Rivera. Julie is uh, an experienced um, coach, well-trained and well-versed in uh, psychology and uh, counseling and trauma and crisis. 
and she's also been a victim of gaslighting. So I wanted to get her on to talk about it. And as we were talking, it became quite evident that I myself have used gaslighting to abuse people in the past, uh, particularly my first wife and Liza, my wife today, okay? And the reason that it's a really important conversation is you get to hear uh, the conversation from both sides, okay? So very often, uh, we we have a victim-villain dynamic here in the gaslighting situation, right? There is a, a victim, someone who's being uh, gaslighted, and there is a gaslighter, the villain. But I'm hoping, as you can see through this conversation that we had, that it is not as simple as just sticking a victim and a villain um, into the equation here. There is a, a lot going on and a lot of healing and a lot of protection and boundaries and all kinds of stuff that needs to happen for the victim. But there also needs to be an understanding about why the hell the villain is doing this in the first place. Are they even consciously aware that they're doing it? And how can we help raise awareness so they stop? Okay. Even today, today, as alive and as awake and as present as I can be on occasions, I can still catch myself slipping into this way of behavior. And I'm telling you categorically, I don't want to behave that way. Okay. So if it can still happen to me when I'm aware of it and I don't want to behave that way and it can still come up and I can go, oh, wow, I apologize. I was gaslighting then. Then imagine what can happen when we're stuck in that, in the matrix with 95 to 98% of our everyday actions coming from our subconscious. Okay. So let me just introduce Julie Rivera. Julie's always been motivated to understand what drives our thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. And with an undergraduate degree in psychology, followed by a master's degree in marriage, family, and couples counseling, specializing in trauma and crisis, Julie found a true calling coaching, focusing on life and mindset transformation. She has lived a life that she says has not been hers for many years. And it wasn't until she left a marriage of 18 years that she started to really wake up and started to live the life that she wanted to. And that shift uncovered a piece of happiness she'd never felt before. And it sent her on a mission to serve others to uncover their own peace from within. If you want to learn more about Julie, www.coachingwithjulz.org. That's www.coachingwithjulz.org. And also check out a podcast that she co-hosts with her 25-year-old daughter, Katie, Our Chic Chat. Our Chic Chat. That's Our Chic, C-H-I-C, Chat. Okay? And you can hear them talking about all kinds of topics, including mental health and why change can be so difficult. Okay? So without further ado, I'll shut the hell up and leave you in the capable hands of Julie Rivera. Julie, what part of the world are you hailing from today? I am in Central Texas right now, near Austin. Ooh, um, did you get involved with all the nastiness around the weather and that recently? Oh, yeah, it was crazy. We lost Ooh. power. And I'm actually Canadian, so mm -hmm. it was almost like going right back to my roots again. Um, we lost power for about three or four days. Oh, wow. What changed, what changed in your life as a result of not having power that you, you can reflect back on? Um, it just made me appreciate where I was. And then it, it kind of made me think about how the world is changing in mm. multiple ways. So it was really, and the more people I talked to, we kind of talked about that, just how the world is changing weather-wise and socially. And it, everyone was kind of in a deep uh, reflective phase after that, actually. 
in a way, it's like a, almost an extension on what COVID has thrust us into. Like, you know, it's like really analyzing. I imagine when you've got no power, it's like my phone, my my laptop, my, you know, do, do you feel a bit detached from life with all those digital things? Sure, we did. And then um, in the truck, we were in the vehicles uh, charging the phones. And I have two teenage boys that were lost. Um yeah. But we, after day two, we were able to get away and go to my daughter's and, and get some heat. So we were pretty thankful for that, that we had a place to go. So, you know, lots to be thankful for, for sure. I'm glad it all worked out. And Austin is a place to live. I'm hearing it's a pretty groovy place, right? A lot of people getting out there at the moment. What's it like? It's really good. And I live in a small town about 40 minutes outside of Austin. So, um, but I love the weather. There's lots of water activities and Austin's like the creative place, right? What do they say? Um, the place to be weird. It's a weird place, but it's, it's full of expression. Let your freak flag fly. Yep. Absolutely. So when you're, when you're not, um, huddling in a truck, trying to charge your mobile phone, and uh, running around Austin naked with tassels on your nipples. What uh, what are you getting up to on a day to day basis? Well, I am um, actually a teacher, fourth grade teacher, and I also have a coaching business. So that keeps me very busy. Um, life coach, mindset transformation, and um, yeah, I I love what I do. And I have two granddaughters to keep me busy, four and two. So yeah, life is great. And we, we got connected because I wanted to speak to somebody about gaslighting. And you were like, I'll talk about gaslighting. So, um, like, you know, for people listening, you know, some people might not even know what the term means. I know when I, when I was in the UK before I came out of California, I had no idea what the term meant. So for people listening, what is gaslighting? Gaslighting is a manipulative tactic that people use. Um, do not want to take acknowledgement for what they did um, for an action to kind of deflect. So, and when you think of gaslighting and, and use it as the term tactic, right? When we think of tactic, it's tactical, it's strategic, and it's a form of manipulation. Um, you it's very subtle and subtle until you realize that it's not when you're kind of out of it. So it's very interesting. Um, it makes you think that you, the other person kind of makes you think that they're crazy, that you're crazy. So, and it's, like I said, it's a very subtle thing. Um, but yeah, people use it for manipulation all of the time. So I am very familiar with it. And just to accentuate a little bit more on the recipient side of it. So if you're a recipient of gaslighting, what, what kind is going on for you? Well, you're, for me and my experience, I knew what I knew until the other person kind of turned it around. And for me, it felt like almost a character assassination, um, especially if you love people and you're very nurturing. And for that part of your character to kind of be attacked, you, you take it back and go, oh, maybe I was wrong. And so you start second guessing yourself. And mm -hmm. then you think, well, maybe I misunderstood. And then all of a sudden you don't have that confidence anymore. It's almost stripped away from you. And then you kind of feel lost and confused. It's the best way to explain it. Okay, so you you can almost like go into a relationship full of confidence. You you you're you're kind of like aware of like your true self, your false self, and kind of figuring all that out. And then all of a sudden, over time, you get into a relationship with a partner who uses this uh, technique or this tactic of of gaslighting 
to slowly erode away your self-confidence. And I imagine when that happens, your perception of reality it's not the same at all. And like I said, you don't even really realize that you're going through it until later or someone kind of can point it out. Because you know, when you're in the thick of things, you don't always see things as it is. And to take it back a little bit further for me, I have a, I was in a graduate program and I worked with couples. So um, marriage, couples, family counseling is what I did. And I worked under supervision in a clinical setting. And I was going through gaslighting. I was the recipient of it and did not realize it at the time that I was Mm -hmm. working with other couples kind of going through that. Um, So after the fact, when I was married for 18 years to separate myself, I kind of went through something realizing, you know, you can have all the degrees, all the book knowledge that you want and still not understand what you're going through until after the fact. Mm -hmm. And so that's what people need to realize too. Mm. Until you're actually sat there and you're watching it and you're thinking, oh, my word, this is happening in my relationship. Absolutely. And it wasn't until um, after the divorce, going through my own personal development, working with my own people, um, did the term really come up? Because when I was counseling, it was about seven or eight years ago. And um, gaslighting really wasn't a term that we used at that point where I was working um, in New York State. And it wasn't until later I learned what it was. And so, um, you know, I went through some stuff like, how was I helping people and didn't even understand what I was going through? Um, but hindsight's always twenty twenty, And so I had to really kind of take a reflective Dance, and even though you're separated from it, it still takes a while to really, um, really see it for what it is. So, it, like I said, it's very subtle until you're out of the situation, and then you can kind of go back and go, oh, well, I, "I see what you know what was happening there." When you um, when you suddenly realize, like, because gaslighting is it, it acts like an the, the, the name, the linguistics, it acts like a framework. It allows you to see the unseen because now it has a name, right? So when you realize, when you you heard, you saw it in action and you, saw, and you heard the term and you realized that you had been a victim of it, mm-hmm. what happened? Did you, because I assume gaslighting erodes your self-esteem anyway and your distortion of reality. And then to find out that, hey, I was a victim of this, did it? take you off the rails? Was you compassionate with yourself or did it make it worse? Um, I think at first it made me worse. Like I really, I was like, how could, you know, I think I didn't have a lot of compassion for myself, especially when you're in um, a healing spot of trying to help others. You're like, Mm. you, I should have been aware. And, but now I have so much compassion um, for myself because I didn't, you don't know what you don't know. Never lived it. Didn't understand it. So that is the one takeaway because I thought, well, I have the degree. And like I said, a degree doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Well, that's one thing that I learned is I'm I'm supposed to be smarter because I have the certificate. Well, let's be real. A certificate doesn't doesn't take away of of the real life experience that you're living. So yeah, I had to, I had to really, it took me probably a good two years to be compassionate with myself on the other side of it and to really understand and advocate for others too. It was really interesting how you said um, you made it about intellect. I remember when I realized that I had been drinking alcohol for 20 years and it hadn't provided me with a single shred of value. I abused my intellect. I went into a deep funk of how could you be, 
How could you be so stupid? You're supposed to be intelligent. How could you not see this lie? Where else in the world are you not seeing the truth? And I, and I beat myself up and it, it did take a long time to build up those stores of compassion because when you're an addict or when you're a victim of gaslighting, you don't have that confidence and that courage. It's being stripped away as part of the, the system and the manipulation, right? Absolutely. There's no buffer. Mm. And so um, when you think of like a, a grocery store floor, you know how hard that floor is. Like there's no padding. You're just as low as that floor. And so for me, there was nothing in between the emotion and the floor. Like it was just hard mm. and it was a hard fall I had. And you're absolutely correct. Like I, I thought I was smarter than that, but it has nothing to do with it. No. It doesn't. Um, so here's the thing for people listening. <clears throat> as he's becoming aware now, Julie's being a victim of gaslighting. And what is not as aware, because we haven't spoken about it, is I've actually been a gaslighter. All right. So I thought we could both talk about our experiences and share what it feels like to be on the end of it and what it feels like to understand that you've actually been the person inflicting the pain. Right. So what is what are some of the ways in which your um, ex-partner gaslighted you? What were some of the things that he would do? I, I imagine there was some consistency, some themes, right? What were they? Okay, so for example, and speaking factually, infidelity was a huge, huge issue um, in our marriage. So if confronted with a situation, it would be automatically, you know what? if I had a clean past, this would not be an issue, but because you're making it an issue. So the evidence was in front of me and he was still very good to flip it as if it, what I was seeing wasn't reality when it eventually it came out that it was. And then when reality came, it was very much, um, there was, when you're with somebody for a long time, they know your, your heart, right. And they know mm -hmm. where to push. So I think, um, pushing on those, like, I, I'm not worthy. I feel like I'm going to hurt myself. So again, the nurturing person that I am would feel guilty. So that was very much a routine for us. So. Right, right, right. So you would feel guilty for suggesting these things, which he was defending and saying they were wrong. And then when it wasn't wrong and it was a lie, then mm. it was very much um, going to hurt myself. Because, you know, as with a compassionate person, and that's what some people do, they're going to find your, your weeks. I don't want to say weak spot. They're going to know exactly what's going to get you, for example, mm. whether it's your kids or what is important to you um, and kind of use that as a way to flip it. Can you expand upon that a little bit more? I'm a very caring person. Right. So for him to say that I'm, I'm going to take my life, I'm worthless because you, he was caught in the action. My automatic response is to let's work it. Let's, mm. let's okay. It's okay. But right. this became a very, very routine thing. It didn't just happen one time. It happened multiple times. And then when it's almost like if you were undercover, Okay. So you're trying to infiltrate a, a squad or whatever you're doing for undercover. It's not working. So you're going to go underground. You're going to change your tactic, put on a different outfit. You're going to try it again. And mm. so one way didn't work. It was very apparent that he would go undercover and figure out a different tactic. 
And so right. it, it was almost like a, um, it, it went on for years until all of a sudden I didn't have any feeling towards it. How did you, how did you eventually deal with it? Like, I'm interested in, like, did you, I mean, there's two aspects of this, this, this yourself and then it's him, right? So there's the relationship and your relationship with him and his activities. So did you have to, did you have to forgive him? Did you have to go into a, a series of understanding why he was doing what he was doing? Or did you just divorce it and just say, no, I just need to work on myself? How did the whole recovery from that uh, go on? It was a process. So um, to be very frank, it went on for years and it's probably lots that I do not know. So I was very forgiving. There was um, children, other children that were, they came out of it that were not mine from it. Mm -hmm. So I I had to be very much and understand where he came from was classic textbook. Um, So I understood and I thought, you know what? I married for a reason. Let me support you because I understand where you came from. But I didn't, I kept myself out of the equation. So I didn't worry about me. I was trying to protect my kids. I wanted him to be okay. And that was my mindset. So I literally shut my whole self off until the behavior never changed. And really what was my um, turning point was my body started to shut down. Right. Um, and my mouth was full of sores and it, and I just, it was just stress. So I had to take, I had to listen and take heed and take my life back and then the process. So at first I was compassionate, but I was ignoring everything about me. Okay. So you was, as a result of the continual gaslighting and your, your, your natural true self, you were given all of your energy and your compassion and your, and everything and your beauty and your love to the person who was actually victimizing you and your children and anybody else who was in this affected. Because let's be honest, gaslighting, if you're in a family dynamic, it's going to affect everybody. Because you just imagine, this is a really important point, a young boy witnessing this happen will very quickly become the gaslighter in his first relationship with his girlfriend because this is the behavior that he models and patterns. Mm-hmm. So, like, super important to kind of mention that. And then at some point, your, your body kind of shuts down and you start to become physically sick. And I imagine spiritually and mentally as well. And that starts to kick in. And then it's like, holy shit, I need to do something about this. It is. I had to do damage control. And I wanted and what I, in my head, and again, I give myself compassion for it, but I wanted to protect my kids. I didn't want to blow everything out. I wanted them to know the sky was blue, but it was not. All I did was prolong it. So Mm. once it was over, I had to be very, very real. And mind you, they didn't know anything was wrong because I kept it. We were very good at keeping it until the divorce. They were just shocked. And so I had to have that conversation with them and be transparent and tell them what I did was not appropriate. What happened was not appropriate. So I had to do quite a bit of damage control in the moment I thought I was protecting them. And all I did was prolong it. So. Mm. Okay. So after, after, was after the divorce, you went to see your children and you said, Hey, this is how I behaved. Wow. That's, that's quite magical. There's a lot of people that would miss that step for sure. No, it was very important to me to be, I didn't want them to go through their life. I wanted them to have complete understanding of it and not make the mistakes that I did. And in order to do that, I had to be real. So Mm. how did you end the relationship? Because I, I know within the work that I do that there are 
so many people in the world who remain in these dead, toxic, pseudo relationships because of the fear of ending them. What was that like? I think for me, I I just couldn't. He we separated for a couple of weeks, and I was able to breathe. And when mm-hmm. he came back, my anxiety started again, and I just couldn't do it anymore. And I remember going. We tried therapy multiple times. And we went to one therapist who was a complete, I call her a bulldog, but I loved it. (laughs) um, She goes, okay, so you set boundaries. Yeah, of course I did. She goes, boundaries can't be broken. You set wishes. So let's just say he does it one more time. And I remember her saying, if he does it one more time, I'm like, I can't do one more time. Like I cannot. And that was when I made the decision to, um, to go forward. Now let's, Let's not say that after the divorce, the gaslighting stopped. And I can honestly say it took me a while because I think there was a very deep motive with gaslighting. And it wasn't until um, probably a few months ago that even after we were divorced and our, our, how we saw each other, when we saw each other with the kids, that I was like, I, I can't. Like, I mm. could see it so clear. So right, right, right. Said, yeah, I said I was divorced. It doesn't mean it stopped. Right. Okay. So you get divorced and then you still have to, I imagine you have a relationship with him because of the children in some degree. This is one of the real difficulties of splitting up when you have kids is very often you're just like, if it works amicably, great. But if it's not amicably, it's like, I just wish this person was on a fucking desert island somewhere, but I have to talk to them because of the kids. And then you're saying you clearly saw the same kind of, he was still trying to use the same kind of behaviors. Right. Okay. What did you think about him? How did what was you thinking about him when you when you look at his behavior? You know, we used the word tactic earlier on. Mm-hmm. You know, so tactic to me feels very conscious, like um, manipulation feels conscious. Uh, so, wh- where are you on that score with with him? Did you did you come to any conclusion on his conscious or subconscious awareness of what was going on? And that that's a really um, interesting question because we could we could talk about that, especially um, with you saying that you had it. I could say maybe unintentionally he didn't understand what he was doing prior to that, but that's still me trying to give him an out. He's he had a tough life. There's no no going around it, right? He um, for him it was a very difficult life, and I wouldn't wish that upon anybody. And so I did have compassion even after the divorce. I understood um, at a mental health issue where we were. But now after I've separated completely and my kids are older, so I don't have to really deal with, with it anymore. I and, ha- and then he trickled when he couldn't get to me. He went to my oldest. And I could see how he was applying the same gaslighting impact to her. And it was insane. And so now I know he has a motive. He, it's very clear. So it's interesting how even after a couple of years, we've been divorced three years and it took me up until about six months to understand he was probably conscious of it the whole time. Right. Okay. I mean, for, would you say, would you say this shows up more in men than women? I mean, in, in my experience, but I want to say that everybody could do it. Like I, you know, and, and I am not, um, I think there's fantastic men and I think there's fantastic women, but I think manipulation can be absolutely both genders. Right. Mm. So, I mean, in my case, I've seen it more in men, but. For me, I mean, I'm, I'm no expert, you know, this is, um, now is Julie, we're just two people who've experienced it in different, different levels. And I think it's a conversation that we need to have for a variety of different reasons. Uh, So take this with a grain of salt, 
But um, I'm developing a theory that it is, um, you know, a massive male issue. I'm not, I, I'm, I can imagine it's uh, there for female as well, but it is definitely a m- massive male issue. Um, and I, I'll share a little bit about my, let me just start by telling you a story about the subtleties of this, right? So on Sunday, I was at the farmer's market with my wife and my little daughter and my uh, mother-in-law. And my mother-in-law had just totted off with my daughter somewhere. And I'm in the market with my wife and I'm just kind of looking around daydreaming, okay? I'm just looking at stalls, I'm looking at people, and I'm just not really with it. I'm just kind of like, yeah, you know, as you do in life, right? And as I looked around, we was waiting at this one stall and I looked at the one, it was completely empty. There was nobody in the queue and there was a woman in the stall. And I looked over and she gave me a look, right? She, she gave me a look and it was just like, I don't know, it seemed more than a look, mm-hmm. right? Now, this is a massive assumption because she could have just looked at me and that was it, but it felt like more than a look, right? And I felt really uncomfortable and within a nanosecond, I, I looked away. Right now, I'm very. I want to stress this. I'm very. Want to stress this. I'm assuming that it was more than a look, and that in itself, maybe because of what I'm going to tell you next, it likely was just nothing. Right. I felt immediately an energy from my wife, which was very uncomfortable. I went deep into my inner child, and I felt like I had done something wrong. And then I was waiting to be told off. We go into a different line. I'm waiting to get some something else. I can't remember what the food was. And there was a, a woman being served with a tight pair of yoga pants on, which was showing her butt off perfectly. Two perfect moons in my face. And I'm looking at this butt. I'm just looking at it. I'm just, I, I'll admit it. I'm looking at this butt. And my wife says to me, I know what you're looking at. And I said, oh, yeah, what am I looking at then? Now, I would say that that comment alone is starting to slip into gaslighting. What am I looking at then? And she said, um, you know. And I said, well, no, tell me what I'm looking at. I'm another, and I'm waiting for her to say, the, the woman with the, the butt cheeks. But I'm also thinking, is she on about the other woman? And then my wife said, the other woman in the store. And I, I saw the look you gave her. What went on for me in that moment was I felt inc- I felt a lot of anger and a lot of shame. Okay. Combination of shame and anger. Wow. And a very desperate need to defend myself because I didn't feel like I had looked at this woman inappropriately. If anything, I felt that it was the other way around, but I wanna I just wanna just preface that it probably was nothing. But I felt so strongly, and in my head, I said to myself. You were staring at this girl's butt. You're with your wife staring at this girl's butt. You didn't stare at that other girl, and you're getting told off for staring at the other girl. That's not right. You need to defend that. Now, this is all, this is in hindsight, I'm, when I went through the process work of this. In the moment, I, I, I defended. I said, I, I didn't look at her. She looked at me, and my wife said, yeah, right. And then I got even more defensive. Oh, so women can't look at men. It's just... It's just that men can only look at women. So then I'm using more defensiveness, which sounds like even more gaslighting. And then she said, don't worry, it's done. It's over. And then we're walking along and I stopped her. I said, no, (laughs) you need to know that I did not look at this woman. It's really important to me that you know I did not look at this woman, right? 
I didn't mention anything about the woman with the with the um, with the bum cheeks, right? And uh, she says, "Okay, I, I believe you, right?" Now, I really don't believe I looked at this woman. Mm-hmm. Processing done. I don't believe I looked at this woman. I believe that when I'm in a marketplace, I'm looking at women. Mm-hmm. I believe when I'm on social media, I'm looking at women. I believe if I walk down the street right now and women walk past me, I would turn my head. That is who I am. That is what I do. And there's a massive deep rooting shame in that because romanticism says I'm not supposed to do that as a man. I'm supposed to fall in love with my soulmates and I'm, she is all that I need, all that I want. And I'm never ever to look at somebody else. I'm never ever to do this. It's wrong. It's wrong. You're wrong. You're bad. So what's my point? My point is within me, there is a deep seated subconscious drive to escape my shame. Mm-hmm. And through time, the grooves that have developed in my mind, I believe, is I will slip into gaslighting to protect my shame, but I have no idea that I'm doing it. And the reason I think this is a massive problem, we need to talk about it, men will not want to talk about their shame. And in order to confront and accept gaslighting exists, they have to do that and they won't do it. So you'll get into a, a cycle of your gaslighting, which activates shame, which activates the defensiveness of gaslighting. So the guy's never, ever going to admit that he has a problem. Right. <gasps> Waffle over. <laughs> That's a lot. And, you know, shame is disconnect. And then there we go. Then we have other problems. First of all, I have to give you props for acknowledging the, being aware of it. And another thing, that's a lot of pressure for men, you know, to have that. And I think, I think that's something that we need to talk about too, is being realistic and not having this romanticized um, between men and women in relationships. And just because the eyes wander doesn't mean that you're not absolutely in love with your wife, you know? So there's a lot to talk about between um, men and, and women. And I think for a man to be aware of what he is doing says a lot. And again, a lot of people are not aware. But I wasn't aware when I was doing it right. in the moment. Like in, in the in the like this is an example of skirting around class night, but when I really was using it consistently that drove my wife to depression, I did not know that I was using it. Okay. Yo folks, just want to give you a quick announcement. If you feel that you've been a victim of gaslighting and you need some help healing from that abuse, or you feel after listening to me and Julie talk that you use gaslighting as a form of abuse and you want to stop, then reach out to us at 1kdaysober at gmail.com and we'll organize a call where we can see how we can help you. Now, without further ado, back to Julie Rivera. Okay, so if you didn't know, really, you were using the term, but what did you know when, you, when you're in that um, state? This is really interesting, right, as this is developing. An outcome of gaslighting is a distorted reality. This did not happen. Did this happen? Did this not happen, right? But as the gaslighter, I've also got a distorted reality. So when my wife first came from Los Angeles to Cardiff, she had a really tough time integrating. I had an ex-wife there. I had my son there. He was 10. All of a sudden, she's got this 10-year-old. I want them to love each other. And all. It was a really, she missed her family. It's like the UK, so it's raining all the time, right? She's got no friends. And LA versus where we live, 
completely different kettles of fish in terms of healing communities and stuff. And she got herself into a deep depression and a dark funk. I never accepted that. I, I didn't experience that. So for many years after the incident, I defended and I assumed gas, no, I don't assume, I offended, I defended and gaslighted that that didn't exist. So think about it. I'm telling her your experience didn't exist because I didn't experience it. And I, and, and I think two things happen there. One, I am in that behavior, men fucking listen to this, in that behavior, I am driving my wife to the brink of suicide. Like this is serious shit, right? By saying your experience doesn't exist, that is fucking bang out of order, right? A deeper understanding then of well, why, why the hell would I do that if I'm in the business of helping people and I love this woman? Like I love her. Why am I doing that, right? Goes back to shame again. How can I, as a man, with the way that I am raised and I'm supposed to behave, admit that I cause a depression in somebody when I have... I have a company that helps people overcome depression and quit alcohol. I think deep down there somewhere, I can't go there because I need the world to see that I am a perfect human being with high morals and high ethics. I cannot let people see that I'm anything other than that. So I really need to hide this and like it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Like so, so to me, it doesn't happen. I don't believe it. I blocked it out of my entire, it's like someone's cut this memory and this period of my life out of my head throw it away. And then I just, it doesn't exist. And I really believe it doesn't exist. And then the gaslighting starts to protect that mirage. And I have no idea what I'm doing at the time. And then later it's just more defense mechanisms around protection. I don't want to go there. I don't want that memory to come back. It took a long time for me to say, I'm sorry, it happened. It must've happened (laughs) because you're saying it did. And I trust you. Even then, even then, I couldn't say it happened, I experienced it. I had to say it happened because I trust you and you would, you would not lie. Like it happened. And I'm so sorry I did that and behaved that way. This, that's, that's really huge. This is really interesting to get the other side of it because I'm resonating. I feel like I've lived that, but I've never really gotten the acknowledgement. It was almost like, you know, from, from my experience was you didn't have it that bad or I could have hit you. So it really isn't that bad. You know, you're, you're okay. And so, but I think, I think knowing that if you had to deal with self, Ooh, that's a, that's a, that's a hard pill to swallow when we have to sit in the dark with just ourselves. That's a lot. So protecting it, um, just like you said, I think it's easier to dig it deep and forget about it and not experience that and not really um, being in awareness. Cause once you're aware that light goes on, you can't shut that off. No, no, <laughs> no, no, no. You have to deal with, you have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And then that's the pain and the suffering then. Absolutely. And I, and I, and I really, I honestly feel, I feel for him and I feel for other people that go through it and other men, because it's, it, it really, it takes away from the beauty of what could be, right? And and I have compassion for people who really can acknowledge that and work through it because it's it's not an easy feat at all. Mm-hmm. I, there's something else that, that just came to my mind. I love these conversations because my mind just starts working. Mm-hmm. Just started reading this book, Attached, about attachment styles in relationships. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I realized that I'm an anxious I have the anxious attachment style. So think about it subconsciously. 
if I am responsible for a severe depression in the woman that I love and I have an anxious attachment style, why would I ever admit that? Because the result would be her leaving me, which goes counter to my anxious relationship, my anxious attachment. My anxious attachment is, oh, please love me, please love me, please tell me love me, please don't leave me, please tell me I'm special, right? Which comes from very inconsistent roles of love and challenge and uh, yeah, abuse is a too strong word when I think about it with my parents, but ignorance, abandonment, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> How can abandonment be easier than abuse, right? Um, but yeah, I, I think back to my, my parents and I think my mom is a loving woman who just couldn't be there for me because she had four kids. So she had to be harsh and say, Lee, you need to grow up and help me out because my dad was never there, right? So I, I can imagine when I grew up, I had that inconsistency in love and abandonment, which led to the anxious attachment style, which then leads to me employing gaslighting as a, as a tactic. Strategic. Yes. Yes. Almost keeping yourself safe. Like it's on you. Uh, it's, it, yeah. It's, this conversation is really interesting to get both sides of it. Yeah. I, this, this thing about the marketplace that I told you about, I, I'm in a coaching group called Elementum at the moment. Okay. And a couple of days ago, we had to do trio, trio work. So there's one, one coach was being an observer, one was being a witness, and one was being the coach, coach, client, and observer. And um, I, I ended up talking about this incident because to me, to me, like, Obviously, I only see the world through my eyes, Julie, right? Like, I only yeah. see the world through my mm-hmm. eyes. But I, but I think that all men are the same as me because it's my only experience. Yes. So there's a part of me that's like, everybody must think like this because I'm a man and this is – why would anybody be dif- different, right? So there's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of bullshit kind of s- story and framework in that. But that is supplemented through growing up, talking to your friends who are male, you know, oh, do you think this? Just even just seeing them in action. So when I, when I grew up, for example, um, in Ogmore Vale, cheating on your wife or cheating on your girlfriend was not unusual. It was, you, you just did it. It was just, you know, no, no, we do it. That, that's what we do and we hide it and we don't tell people. We go out, we get drunk, we end up in situations we shouldn't be in, we end up sleeping with someone and then we feel that regret, but we never tell them. And that's what happens because you see it happening all around you, right? Mm-hmm. Like a really, really terrible kind of environmental the place norm. to be in. The norm. It becomes a norm. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it becomes a norm. But this this incident with the girls, you know, in, in the marketplace, it led me to one of the things that bugs me is when women put on really tight yoga pants and stuff and then go onto social media and film themselves dancing and do and, and dancing and saying, you know, I'm I'm celebrating myself and all this kind of stuff. And I'm seeing it more and more and more and more and more because of the containers I'm in, the coaches are pushing people to do it, right? As, as a way to celebrate themselves and, be comf- and to give confidence. And I actually took a photograph of myself in my underpants mm-hmm. and said, hey, I've always thought that I was ugly and here's me like doing my bit, right? But I get really annoyed when I see women doing it. And I've start, and I, in this coaching session, I was asking myself why that was. And there was two things coming up. One, I... F- it was attached to morals and ethics, and I, I thought it was, a, I feel it's, a, it's manipulative. Okay. So then that puts a mirror up and says, well, where am I being manipulative, which links to charging people money to help them overcome alcohol and a lot of shit around that. But then it was also, 
holy shit, if Julie's going to get in her bra and knickers and start doing this, and I'm on the toilet flicking through Instagram, and I come across Julie doing that, I'm going to watch you doing that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to watch it. There's something in my brain which will be like, this is like watching a Marvel movie. You've got to watch it. Mm-hmm. But what does that say to me? What does that say about me as a, as a man if I'm watching you do that? And do I have to tell my wife that this is who I am, that, that actually I need to offload this stuff and just say, hey, when I walk down the street, I look at everybody. I find everybody super sexy. I just really like it. But I never think to myself, oh, there's Julie dancing in front of me. I should ring her up or I need to have sex with her. I just... I'm drawn to it, but I love you. And I, I just love everything about you. And I want nothing but you, but this happens in my life. Now, if I don't do that and have those conversations, I keep hiding them. Yes. I'm worried that gaslighting is always going to happen because I will be wanting to protect that secret. And what if you told her and she said, I know, I know. And that's okay. Like, I mean, what if, what if in your mind you're making it way bigger and she goes, I understand. I, I can look too, but I absolutely love you. It's okay. I get it. What would happen to you then? How would you feel? We've had conversations like that. Okay. I'm actually thinking if I had the conversation, she said, why are we having this conversation again? Uh, I, actually, I actually think that. Do you not believe her? Like, do you not believe that it's okay for her to accept you for who you are? I think I'm, I'm questioning myself the difference between well, even here's the thing. It's like, let's say you're walking down the street with an, uh, your partner and then a beautiful person passes you and you look at them and then your partner says to you, I don't mind you doing that, but don't do that when you're with me. It's disrespectful. Okay. Then I go into the whole realm of who says it's disrespectful. Is that a societal norm? Are we conforming to a norm? What is wrong with me looking like is this envy? Is this jealousy? Like if there was no envy and jealousy in the world, would we all be able to break out of monogamy and have like sex with whoever we wanted and come home and be in love with our wife and we get our sexual needs met? And, and for me, like, it feels like I'm fighting against biology. I want to, I want to make it really clear to you, I don't want to go out and and start having sex with everybody, Mm -hmm. but it feels, I've said this to Liza before. I actually tried not looking at women. Mm-hmm. I said to myself, for seven days, I'm not going to look at women. It was one of the most difficult things I could ever do in my life. It was, it, it, it was, and, it, and I work in the field of addiction. Mm-hmm. It wasn't an addiction. Mm-hmm. It was just happening. It was just biology. Right. And the but more you did something, right, the more you want to do it. So, But if I say it's biology, is that a form of gaslighting? Think about it. Let's say you're in a dynamic where the woman is feeling really, really low Mm self-worth that every time you go out, this guy is looking at other women and he turns around and says, well, I don't mean anything by it. It's just biology. Then you start to think to yourself, holy shit. Yeah. Like fucking give this guy a break. Like it's not, it's not his fault. It's like, it's you. What's wrong with you? Give him a break. Yeah. No. It's so fucking murky, right? Yeah, it is. And I think it depends too on your relationship. So if that trust is not there, then I can see 
you know, low self-esteem. It's not going to make the woman feel good. And then you're throwing out, well, this is just who I am and this is the biology. And then this is where we get into trouble. Right. Mm. So if there was such a, a trust and a bond and, um, that open communication and the, everything was on the table, I could see how maybe that could work. So I really feel it, it's based on the dynamic of the couple. So, and yeah, I could see where uh, the gaslighting can make the woman feel like she's crazy. Too many years for me. And I had, of course, with infidelity, that wasn't something that ever made me feel good. So I, and it was like, um, this is just probably who I am. So now I'm like, oh, so maybe... I'm the problem because I'm not accepting you for who you are, right? But but the difference is he he did he he was unfaithful, right? Oh yeah, he had two children. Right, right. Other so children. so that's to me that's like exactly different so, gravy. Right. If you but if you had a strong bond and trust and you had that um, that conversation and you know that that's just who the person is, I think there's safety and honesty, right? Don't you agree? Yeah. If you know where you stand with someone and it's so strong, then I can see that being okay. If you just know, and that's just who they are because they've always been honest about every single thing. Mm. And the woman is solid in who she is. And she's solid with you because you've always been honest. I think it could, it could be okay. Yeah. Does that, does that make sense? No, no, it does make sense. It's just, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. I know. Like, like, (laughs) Uh, let me give you an example about what I'm thinking. Um, I was once at a poker tournament where there was a very beautiful woman working in a poker tournament. She had a short skirt on. She was walking around, and I was writing. And my wife was actually working there as well. Um, and later, and I, and I kept looking at her legs. I, I I kept looking at her legs and thinking, wow, she's got beautiful legs. And I kept, I was writing, and then she'd come up close, and I'd look, and I'd write, and then I'd look, and I'd write, and I'd look. And then we got to a room later on, and and Lise was like, that is fucking t- completely unacceptable. Mm-hmm. And I went into complete and utter defense mode. And the conversation ended up being centered around looking and lusting. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between looking and lusting. Mm-hmm. Oh, shit, man. Okay, so looking is what I would say. For some men, this is like a massive conversation. They can't even admit that they look because there's a shame attached to it, right? But for me, admitting that I look at other women is kind of easy peasy, lemon squeezy, right? Admitting that, you, that you're looking longer than what you should be looking, mm-hmm. and let's use the word lustfully here because that was a term that was, that was that used uh, at me. That's next level shit truth owning because then with an, with an anxious attachment style, you're going to be worried. Well, if I do tell her that I was lustfully looking at these legs, then she will, she, who does that, who, who am I as a man again? That shame again? I shouldn't be doing that. I should, I'm in love with this woman. I shouldn't be lustfully looking at other people's legs. Mm-hmm. And if I had that conversation with her, do I trust her enough that she won't leave me? Yes. Now, the answer to that question is, I do trust her enough that she's not going to leave me and we will be having a conversation before this podcast goes out because I promised I would do that after the the trio work we did. I agree that when you're looking at somebody's legs in a room several times, it's more than just looking at them. Absolutely. But but I have a view that 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 there's a difference between there's a difference between that and love and I don't think I'm breaking any love agreement. However, 
this becomes interesting then if, you know, Flyzer turns around and says, that is totally unacceptable in our relationship. That is non-negotiable. That is a deal breaker. Then that, that becomes the same as if you have sex with another woman in, or another man in this relationship, that is a deal breaker, which ha- happens now. I wouldn't do that. Like mm-hmm. our agreement is monogamy. So I wouldn't do that. So then it becomes, and then it becomes, well, okay, you cannot like lustfully look at a video or something. Then it becomes, okay, we need to talk about this a little bit more because this is a little bit more complicated for me. Absolutely. And then it gets you in this whole rigmarole and then it gets bigger. It starts off small and then all of a sudden, and that's why people are afraid to talk about it. Massive. Yeah. Think, about por- think about porn. What is a, f- not even five minutes. What is like a five minute relationship? Like for me, I don't use porn anymore, right? Right. But when I did, five minutes with porn and I'm, and I'm ejaculating, right? Now, that's got to be luck. That, that got to be luck. That is different gravy again than looking at a woman with high heels and a short skirt on in a poker tournament. This is me getting my manhood out mm-hmm. and ejaculating over a woman on a screen, but that is deemed as acceptable and normal yeah. in my life. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't get no shit for looking at porn. But like... But I, but I would get some shit if I lustfully looked at you. I'd like I'm using the wrong terms here because this is unfair on Liza. I'm talking about societal and the collective yeah. consciousness here. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it's because um, that person could be accessible, right? Porn, not so much. It's on your screen, but looking at legs, that person is there, right? So then it becomes more of a threat. Versus, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yes, that becomes more of a threat. Yeah. Which is why social media is such a hot potato. Yeah, because, it absolutely Because a lot of times on social media, the people who, for a man, if they're seeing someone in a, in a state of semi, I don't know, it's not even provocative dress in terms of what turns a, like a man, like what turns a man on. Like for me, it's, um, it's not nakedness. It's seeing someone in a very beautiful dress with a slit and a little bit of leg or it's something like, you know, so... All of a sudden, if you see something like that on your social media feed and that's your fucking sister-in-law, you know, like, what are you supposed to do? Go, oh, my God, I just need to, like, beat myself and lash myself because I just looked at my sister-in-law sexually. Or are we like, hang on a minute, like, this is, we need to wake the fuck up and just understand what is natural here and what is unnatural. I mean, you can just say what it is. It's a a beautiful woman and then move on from it. It doesn't mm. need to be a huge, huge thing. So acknowledging like a dog is a dog, a cat is a cat. That's a beautiful woman. And then move on. Right. Mm. And mm. not um, put so much emphasis on what, what is right or wrong or social. I like how you said having these non-negotiables is so important in a relationship. So having those conversations, I think men need to have that because the pressure that you talk about is combustible. It's going to blow up, you know, if we don't have those conversations because it's a lot of pressure. Yeah. And I, and I, and I want to say with, with the way that I am and the way that I, I do go, I do like, if I'm just in Starbucks working every time that bell goes and someone walks in, I always look to see who it is. It, it doesn't matter who it is. I don't know who it is. My, my, I automatically look. And if that's a woman versus a man, I'm going to look more if it's a woman than a man. Right now, because of my behavior in that, I would not trust myself if I was drinking alcohol. Right. And my wife wouldn't trust me if I drank alcohol. And I've, I've never drunk alcohol with my wife. Okay. But being like that 
and then being touched by a substance which is pure goal is to lower my inhibitions and to put me into semi-states of blackout and to take more risks. Yeah. I can't have that anywhere near my life. Now, again, does that make me a horrible human being? Does that make me, um, I don't want you to answer that, by the way, but it's just, you know, for people listening, like for me to declare that I wouldn't trust myself, I drunk alcohol, does that mean like I'm a a bad husband? Does that mean like I'm a bad father? I think that that makes me just normal human being. And I keep coming back to this all the time. And I think there's strength in knowing what you can handle and what you can't and acknowledging it and saying, yeah, I'm not, I'm going to leave that right there. I think there's a lot of strength in that, a lot of strength mm-hmm. in acknowledging. So for me, I would, I would, I would feel safe with that. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to have it near me because it's not good for me. And I already know what will happen. So I think kudos to you and to people who recognize that I would take it as strength. So I wonder if there's some, there's uh, obviously you could take that now and you can build rules around yes. other non-negotiables, right? Like how can I, how, how can I limit my, yeah, there are ways of doing these kind of things. And that's the time I think about it. And being honest in, in, um, even if you, you know, for men who, who really want to be honest, but have that attachment style, looking to get the help that they need to be able to have somebody to support them in their relationship dynamic is huge. Yeah, massive. I mean, that's what this, mm-hmm. this podcast is about, right? You know, we, we came on it to talk about gaslighting, but what we're both really doing here, folks, is we're just both being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a lack of vulnerability that leads us to use. And if we can learn to be more vulnerable and to just... I'm hoping that some of you listen to this and go, wow, fuck it out. Least, least talking about like some serious shit that could be in some relationship, relationship ending. Yes. Like I am not accepting his behavior and he's talking about it. Right. Like I really want you to hone in on that. Same with truly like listening back and sharing her life story. These, these things can be really gifts to allow you to at the very least start to develop that introspection more. Very important. Mm-hmm. Having the understanding and the willingness to be vulnerable with each other is huge. Yeah, there, there, someone just gave me the metaphor the other day. I think it was a law of emergence on the the acorn and the great oak tree. Like for the acorn to become the great oak tree, it really has to get its roots and dig as deep as it can into that mm-hmm. fertile darkness. And then that means that the elements up above are less likely to blow you over. So if, if, you know, what we've been doing on this call is that's what we've been doing. We've been extending our tendrils a little bit more deeper into the darkness. So we're solidifying ourselves. So when the collective consciousness and institutionalism and capitalism are not good enough, start fucking hitting us, we stay solid because we've got those roots and we've done that work, right? And I don't love the word norm, like normal either. I find that everybody has to come together and what society deems is correct. I really think that the two people in a relationship need to decipher what norm normal is for them and not yeah. what the outside forces deem is normal or what your neighbor would do, because that is just setting yourself up for disaster. Yeah. 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 So if you decide that you want to go out and have sex with as many people as you want, yeah, don't, don't be confined to romanticism. Did not, and it's you know that is that is where most of us are hooked into this 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 notion of romanticism, you know the the white wedding and the soulmates and um, you know that this person will provide me with everything that I need in life and I won't be able to get it from any I won't have to get it from anywhere else. 
Mm. We won't ever have any differences and we'll never fight. And when we fight, that's bad and we have to leave. I mean, it's all bullshit, isn't it? It is. It's not reality. Hmm. Not reality. Mm-hmm. And we want reality. <laughs> End gaslighting now. Allow us to have our reality. So I'm just gonna just gonna end my bit and I'll pass over to Julie. For all you men listening, folks, please, please, please spend some time um, considering where you are gaslighting and you are not consciously aware that you are. Um, do some research. Google gaslighting. Read some articles. See if you see yourself in it. And then do the right thing and uh, go to your wife or your husband or whoever and just say, hey, I've noticed this pattern in me and I, I want to do something about it. It will change your, 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 your partner's life, right? For you to take that ownership, right? But you've got to start raising that awareness and, um, and, and get it real. What about you, Julie? What are your last words? Um, my last words is just in understanding, trust in your partner. When you're honest and um, they, they will be there for you um, if you have that kind of relationship. So just try to trust in them and, um, and be your authentic self and understand what you're doing and awareness is everything. Mm. So, well, yeah. Julie, it's been a really pleasure having you on here. If you want to learn more about Julie's work and work with her, she said earlier on, she's a coach. Teachers always make wonderful coaches. Get over to www.1000daysober.com. Podcast page, you'll see Julie's area and you'll see links to her, to how to contact her and that kind of stuff. Uh, Julie, thanks for coming on the show and uh, sharing your experience. Really appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thanks for the invite. If you want to be somebody that doesn't drink alcohol or recover from any other addiction, improve your relationship with yourself and those that you love, or just want to learn to live a more conscious life, then here is what we can do to help you at 1000 Days Sober. Number one, we have a Strive subscription service, okay? So you pay a monthly fee, you come and join us, you come into our community, you get access to all our Marco Polo groups, you get access to our Kajabi group, you get access to uh, content that you will not see in the public sphere, mainly by yours truly, but by other people in my network are friends as well. What else do you get? You get access to a weekly coaching call with myself. So you can get coaching, a one-on-one coaching with me on that weekly coaching call. And you get money off various different workshops and uh, invites to lots of other free stuff. So that's our subscription service. You could do group coaching programs, okay? Right now we have two group coaching programs both called the Strive Method. The first one is addictions, okay? And they last for six months. The relationship course also lasts for six months. We've got Strive Method for addictions, Strive Method for relationships. There are workshops, okay? Or you can work with me personally one-on-one, okay? You can work with me personally one-on-one. And if you want to get involved in any of that, then just head to www.1000daysober.com and you will find everything that's going on there, okay? We have pages there on the website which will direct you in the right place and how to get hold of me, including a workshop space there as well. We're always running workshops, so you can sign up for those as well. Last but not least, if you do love this show and it has changed your life and you want to change the lives of somebody else, tell somebody about it and rate and review it in your podcast provider. I would really appreciate that. If you want to just reach out to me, ask me a question, just email me, 1kdaysober.com. Ah, at gmail.com. Much love, everybody. Bye.